welcome to those of you that are watching online and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the things that's really neat uh, about living in this, um, this uh, time that we live in is that modern technology is just unbelievable. And I was thinking this past week of how the great apostle Paul might have used uh, the internet, uh, how he would have used a Facebook page, how he might have used all the cameras and all the stuff that we do. Because obviously he used the technology of the day. He mailed off letters. And uh, we have all this technology today that can reach people all over the place with this glorious message of Jesus Christ. And, and so I'm glad that we have so many of you, hundreds literally watching each hour on the internet, and we're glad that you're, you're with us. Hey, let me, let me, uh, let me, let me share this. Uh, next week, I want to piggyback on something Pastor Bobby said, is uh, Mother's Day, and uh, it's always a, just a, a great, great weekend here at Big Valley Grace. And just want to give you a little taste of what's going to happen here. Uh, we'll have uh, baby, uh, you know, parent-child dedication here, and that's always really a, a special moment. Um, we're, I've got a special message. Usually I don't do that. Usually I just stay in the series, but I, for whatever reason, I sensed that maybe the Lord wanted me to come up with a, a, a message just for kind of moms or families or whatever, and, and I want you to be here. Everybody will, 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 you know, be blessed by it, not just moms, but I've got a special message We've got uh, something special we're going to give out at the end. Um, usually it's flowers, but we're going to do something different uh, next week. Uh, Pastor John Byron is going to uh, be out on the patio after Saturday night and each of our gatherings, just kind of playing some music out there. It'll be a really, really neat weekend. So I want you to be here, but I want you to also think about maybe a friend. Maybe somebody that you know that you'd like to invite to be a part of our Mother's Day celebration here. So anyway, that, that's next week, okay? Um, you know, all of the, the words that are written in the Bible, all of them, every single one of them uh, is critically important. Every one of them. Because it was all written by God. All of it. The Holy Spirit comes upon these different men, and the Holy Spirit impresses upon them what he wanted them to write. Now, he, the, 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 the words are written in the um, you know, personalities of the writers, but it's all God's word. Now, we have favorite verses and favorite passages and things like that, but the reality is, is that it's all God's word. I think, and I've told you this before, that the Three most important chapters in the Bible are Genesis 1, 2, and 3, because if you don't understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3, then the rest of the Bible really isn't going to make a whole lot of sense. You, you have to understand what God wanted. You need to understand sin and how it came into the world, because uh, that's kind of the baseline for understanding the rest of the Bible. But without a doubt, at least in my life, the, the books of First and Second Samuel are, are really, really insightful. And they give us a lot of wisdom. In fact, the book of 1 Samuel covers a, a real pivotal time in the history of Israel. It records the, the moment when the Jews crowned their first king, and that was Saul. And we talked about Saul last weekend. You see, up until that point, God had used Moses to lead the Jewish people out of 400 years of bondage. Then God raised up Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. And then after uh, Joshua died, God raised up a, 
a number of different judges, and the judges were the ones that kind of led the people. Judges chapter 2 says, Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. So the leadership baton, if you will, was, was handed to Moses, and Moses ran his leg. Then Moses hands it off to Joshua, and Joshua ran his leg. And then the leadership baton was handed off to a, a number of judges, and some of them were good and some of them weren't, but they kind of had the leadership mantle. And when you get to 1 Samuel, the, the leadership baton is now going to be passed from judges to kings, and Saul was their first king. But as we saw last week, Saul blows it big time. He doesn't obey the Lord, and God has his prophet Samuel tell Saul that he's basically lost his job. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the Bible. And so how God spoke to the people was he, he would speak through, um, you know, these prophets and judges. And so Samuel actually verbally would hear from the Lord. Today, we don't verbally hear from the Lord. He has spoke to us through his word. This is how we hear the voice of God. But obviously in the Old Testament, they didn't have this. And Samuel was God's mouthpiece at that, at, at that time. And it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 15. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and he's given it to somebody else, one who is better than you. And the one who God was referring to was David. And this is who we're going to look at uh, for the next few weeks, not including um, next weekend if the Lord doesn't come back. I want you to know that there are more chapters in the Bible devoted to the life of David than any other person other than God himself. His name is mentioned over a thousand times in the Bible. In fact, we know more about David's thoughts, his fears, his strengths, his weaknesses, his victories, his, his losses, his sin than anybody else who's ever lived when you take the word of God and you read all that there is about King David, there isn't anybody on the planet who we know more about. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And David had a lot of good. And he had a lot of bad, and he had a lot of ugly. Today in Israel, the, the national flag is called the, the Star of David. He's without a doubt one of the most important figures in history, not just biblical history, just history any way you, 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 you come at it. He was born around 1040 B.C., and he reigned in, as the king for about 40 years. And the Bible says this in Acts chapter 13. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God has said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And I want you to know that you know, verse right there tells you a lot about what God thought about David. It's an unbelievable compliment, isn't it? 
that when God looked down and saw the life of David, he said, that's a man right there who's after my own heart. That's a guy right there who's, who, who, who you know, wants to do my, my will. He wants to do what I've told him to do. And I want you to know I've thought about that phrase a lot over the last few weeks as I've kind of gotten ready for this message. In fact, I kept kind of getting stuck there. And I really sensed it was the Holy Spirit just saying, don't move off of that. That is what God thought about David. That he was a man after God's own heart. But I couldn't help thinking, you know, man, I, I, want, I want God to look at my life and say the same thing. I want God to look down and go, man, Rick is a, a man after my own heart. And I have to believe that anybody who truly knows Christ, who's a true believer in Christ, who names the name of Christ, who's given their life to Christ, who understands all the implications of the gospel, that's got to be what we all want, isn't it? That somehow God could look down and go, yeah, that's a guy after my own heart. And I sat in my office, and, and I have this whiteboard. And I went over to this whiteboard, and, and this is what I wrote on it. I have found Rick, son of Pinky, a man after my own heart. And I sat down in my chair and I just looked at that and, and that's how they kind of communicated back then. The, the father had a weighty position, not that mothers didn't. And so here you have in this scripture, I have found David, the, the, the son of Jesse, just, just so that there's no confusion as to which David. It's, it's the son of Jesse. I kept looking at that, and I found Rick, the son of Pinky, a man after my own heart. And I can't tell you how many times I prayed, God, I, I sure hope that's what you see. Hope that's what you see in my life. Now, for those of us that have walked with God for a little while, we, we know the story of David. And I'm going to talk more about it in the weeks to come, because <laughs> there's some, an ugly side to, to, to David. And yet here's this unbelievable thought that though he was goofed up, messed up, did some horrible things, God still saw a man who, who loved him deeply. Kind of gives us all hope, I, I think. And let me encourage you to do something weird. Why don't you do that at home? Why don't you write that out on a three-by-five card and just, just stick it somewhere where you can look at it and, and may it encourage you or motivate you or inspire you, if you will, to, to go, wow, God, I, I don't want to be that kind of man. I want to be that kind of woman. That you would look down from, from heaven and, and see somebody whose heart is all yours. I know God is looking the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I know God is on a, uh, you know, kind of a, a reconnaissance mission, if you will. He, he's looking, he's searching. 
The Bible says that when he finds that individual, that man, that woman, something happens. It's like a tractor beam. God just locks on and goes, yeah, there's a gal, there's a guy, there's somebody whose heart is sold out to me. And, and God somehow comes upon that person in a very unique way. God begins to do something with their life. Here's the deal. There's no doubt that when God saw David's heart, he saw someone that was fully sold out to him, which is why God used him in some unbelievable ways. So, so here's, here, here's the question I, I want to deal with today. What does it mean to have a heart after God? What are some of the things that God saw in the life of David that made him a, 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 a man after God's own heart? What did he see? And the cool thing is, is that the scriptures, especially the Psalms, you get to see this man. We, we all get to kind of get a, you know, an up close and personal look at this man. But before I get there, let, let me do this. I want to just kind of read this little section of scripture that shows us how he became the king. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel Chapter 16, if you don't have a Bible, the notes will be inside your program. They'll be up on, on the jumbotrons. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, isn't that interesting? There's somebody else from Bethlehem. Who was important to us, wasn't there? Huh. Samuel loved Saul. Loved him. And it broke Samuel's heart that Saul had disappointed God and had disobeyed God. It broke Samuel's heart that God had rejected Saul. Just broke his heart. Much like it breaks your heart when you see somebody you love. It could be your, your children who walk away from the Lord, right? Doesn't it break your heart, mom, dad? Hey, kids, doesn't it break your heart when you see your parents, your dad, or your mom walk away from the Lord? Doesn't it break your heart when you have a good friend, maybe somebody was in your small group or something, and, man, they're walking with the Lord, and then the next thing you know, they kind of, Blow God off. It breaks your heart. And that's what we see here with Samuel. It just broke his heart. <laughs> but God says, we're done. Quit mourning. We're moving on now. I want you to fill your, your flask with olive oil. Go to ben, uh, Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Saul's the king. But God's rejected him. And now he's taking his man, his mouthpiece, and he's saying, go to Bethlehem. There's a guy there named Jesse, got a bunch of sons. I'm going to anoint one of those guys, one of his sons, to be my king. But Samuel asks, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Makes sense. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. 
When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. I mean, this is the man of God. This is the mouthpiece of God. And they're wondering, what's this guy doing here, right? What's up? Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Elab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Elab was uh, Jesse's oldest son. And that birth order really meant something weighty in the Old Testament. And so Samuel's there, he's kind of done his thing, and here comes the oldest son, and you know, immediately Samuel thought, there's the guy. Look at that guy, strapping young guy. Look at his biceps. That's the guy. I got the guy. This is him. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. That didn't mean he didn't like him. He just, that's not the guy. He's not the king. The Lord does not see things the way you see them, Samuel. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I want you to know that the first half of that passage is every bit as true as the second half. See, we know God looks at the heart. We know that. But the first half of that verse is true, too, is that man does tend to look on the outward appearance. Uh, I won't have you raise your hand, but the chances are pretty good, unless it was a blind date, that when you asked, uh, you know, your spouse out, guys, for the very first time, first time you saw him, probably you simply looked at the outward and you went, wow, I think they're attractive. I think that's an attractive gal. Now, you don't know anything about her heart because you're not God. But I, I don't think anybody ever goes, wow, she is really ugly. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm going to take her out for coffee. I'm going to take her out on a date. That just doesn't happen. We, we tend to look on the outward. Now, the dating process is about figuring out the heart. That's what's most important, you see. But, as I said, we're not God, and so it takes us time over coffee and, a, and you know, dinner, uh, hanging out, going on walks, flying a kite, whatever it is you do to go, huh, not only is she attractive on the outside, but way more importantly, she's attractive on the inside. Our, our goals match up, you know, if, uh, uh, you know, you want to be a missionary in Zimbabwe your whole life, and the gal you're dating loves the Lord and all that, but had, wants no part of being a missionary, then it's not a good match. It, it, it doesn't mean she's not a good person or he's not a good person. It just means it's not a good match. Two godly people, but it, their, their hearts don't match up. See? But sometimes you, you date and you go, wow. Um, you, you know, you, you look at her, or he, you know, after a few coffees, and she looks at you and goes, you know, looks at the guy and goes, man, kind of nice looking on the outside, 
but maybe they don't know the Lord. See, you're starting to learn something about them, or, you know, I don't know, they're as dumb as a stump. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You're figuring stuff out as you go. You see, you gotta get past the outward appearance. And so Saul, who was a man of God, did what most people do. He just looked on the outward and said, man, got to be the guy. And God says, no, 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 Samuel. I know you've looked on the outward, but that's, that's not the guy. I, I can see beyond that. You can't. You're just meeting this family for the first time. You don't know anything about them other than what they look like. But I'm able to bore down past all the stuff, and I can see something you can't see. And he ain't the guy. He's not the guy. Then Jesse told uh, his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, uh, this is not the one the Lord has chosen either. Next, Jesse summoned uh, Shimea. And, but Samuel said, neither has the Lord chosen this man. And Samuel asked, are, are these all the sons you got? He had gone through it all. His, his magazine was empty, you know. I shot them all out. They're all. Well, there still is one more, the youngest, Jesse replied. But, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. You need to understand something. This is a family of nobodies. And David is the nobody amongst the, the, the nobodies. He wasn't even invited to the party. And Samuel was pretty clear. Bring all your family. And Dad thought, man, you know, I don't need to bring him along. You just stay out in the field and do your, your, your duty out there because you, you ain't the one. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him, and you gotta think that Jesse's going, man, this is a waste. Samuel must have blown, and he must not have heard from God. It's gotta be one of my other sons. We're wasting all this time getting my youngest here. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there amongst his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully uh, upon David from that day on. Now obviously, Jesse and the brothers don't really understand all that's going on here, and we'll see some of that in the future. Samuel's just anointed this young kid the king, but, but they don't get it. Dad doesn't get it yet. The brothers don't get it yet. They don't, even, they, they don't even realize what's just happened in their midst. Verse 16, once again, the Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And in Acts chapter 13, once again, we see what the Lord saw when he looked at the heart of David. I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. So back to the question that I want to answer today, and I think it'll be a great way to set up communion as we look at some of these things, and maybe you 
you know, investigate your own life, if you will. And it could be that before we remember the, the life and the death and the resurrection and the soon coming of our king, it would be a great way to prepare our hearts for that, that moment. So, what are some things that God saw in the life of David that made him a man after God's own heart? Well, I'm gonna start right here. Number one, God saw a man that had a deep love for him. You can't miss this. There's no doubt that David's love for God trumped everything else, any other love he had. And you, you see it in, in his writings, in the Psalms. And we're gonna look at a lot of Psalms and we're just gonna let the scriptures kind of speak for themselves. And you gotta remember when, when we read these, man, th th this guy was a stone cold killer, man. He killed thousands of people. Th this was, I don't know, Rambo, man. This was a guy who could pull a sword out and do some damage in a hurry. He was a man's man. This, this was the kind of guy you, you, you weren't afraid to, to go into battle with this guy. He, he, he was a warrior. And in Psalms 18, it says, I love you, Lord, with all my strength. I love you. I love you, Lord. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the, the power that saves me and, and my place of, of safety. I call on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. I'm sure this warrior had been in a lot of battles where, you know what, things started looking bad. Maybe he felt his strength going out, and I don't know, maybe he got a cut here. Maybe he saw a, a, a fellow soldier drop over there, and there were moments where it was, oh, God, please strengthen me, help me. This battle ain't going very well. And he saw, I don't know, the, the Lord come upon him and his troops, and, and he, he would see the, the tide turn, if you will, and the next thing you know, he, he might have won the, the battle. Psalms 26 says, I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. Psalms 30 says, sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. I have this picture of David in my mind, this, this warrior, just singing. Uh, when we take people to Israel, Gordon and I, we, we go to some of these places where probably a lot of these psalms were written. And I often just picture David, the king, the warrior, singing before the Lord. His heart so full of love for God that he couldn't help but sing his praises to, to, to the Lord. Psalms chapter 116 says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy, because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The, the terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is, how good he is, so merciful is God of ours. 
When you read through the Psalms, you can't miss the fact that David had a deep, deep, deep love for God. And God saw it when he saw his heart. God knew that, 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 that David's love for him trumped all other loves. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is asked a, a great question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And obviously they didn't have the New Testament back there. They, they, they basically kind of had the Old Testament. And what this young um, student was asking, if you will, is, Jesus, if you were to take all of the laws in the Old Testament, not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the laws, and there were hundreds of them, hey, Jesus, help me out here. What's the greatest of all these commands that, that God gave? And Jesus could have said, hey, young man, they're all, they're all equally important. They're all great, you know, but he didn't. Jesus said, here it is. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. If you were to boil it all down, this is it. So if this is the most important commandment, the greatest commandment, it makes sense that this would be the number one thing that God would look for when he looks at our hearts. Don't you think? That when God looks down and sees us, he's looking, is, is that a man or is that a woman who really loves me above all else? Or, or maybe they're, you know, they love me, but they love their kids more than they love me. They think more about their kids than they think about me. Their kids are their lives, not me. God, God may be number two, but here's the deal. God doesn't do number two well. He's not happy being number two. I think there are some, some times as we as believers, we can know the Lord. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We can serve the Lord. We can love the Lord deeply, but he's number two. When you look at the life of David, God wasn't number two. God was number one. He saw that. Someone once said, the most important thing you can know in life is that God loves you. And the most important thing you can do in life is to love God back. Obviously, Jesus said it's the, the greatest thing that you can do with your life. And beloved, if you do this, if you love God back, you've accomplished the most important thing in life. In fact, everything else you do today is gonna pale in comparison. You can knock off 100 things off your to-do list. You know, you could find a cure for cancer. You could uh, solve world hunger. You could bring, bring about peace in our world today. But if at the end of the day, you don't love God a little bit more and know God a little bit more, it was a waste of day. Why? Because God didn't create you to check all the stuff off your to-do list. That's not why he made you. He created you so that you get to know him better and love him deeper. But what tends to happen is we have these to-do lists, right? And here it is, and we wake up each day, and that to-do list trumps everything else. And by the way, on the to-do list, there's no, hey, I gotta spend some time with the Lord. It's just, I got this to do, 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 and by the way, just stay out of the way because I gotta get all this done. And at the end of the day, you got it all done. Unfortunately, somehow God got lost in the to-do list. And that can happen. 
Let me ask you, when was the last time you expressed your love to God out loud? When was the last time you said, I love you, God, out loud? Think about that. You see, one of the things I know is when Jesus hung on that cross, he said, I love you, and he did it out loud, didn't he? <laughs> Hanging right there, man, in the outskirts of town, saying, I love you. I love you. So how can you love God out loud? Well, one simple way to express your love for God is by expressing your thankfulness. Start thanking God out loud for what he's done in your life. God, thank you for the friends that I have. That'd be a great thing to do when you're holding the, the, the bread and the cup. Have a moment where you love God out loud. Lean over to your spouse and say, I just want to thank God for you, honey. You ever done that? When was the last time you did it? Well, I did it 30 years ago when I got married and if things change, you know, I'll let her know. You know, isn't it weird how we, we do that? Thank God for the church, you know, that, that cares about you and your family. Thank God out loud, I don't know, for creating all the different flowers that are out there. Thank you that, you know, thank God that you live in America where you have freedoms that few people experience. God, thank you for the roof that you have, I have over my head. God, thank you for the food, you know, that I have to eat. It's one of the reasons why as we as believers, you know, at least we ought to pray for all of our meals. You don't have to go to Zimbabwe to find starving people. They're right here in our own town. And when you sit down in the morning and you got your pile of pancakes or lunch or dinner or whatever it is, don't feel guilty about the fact that you have food to eat. But man, Lord, thank you that you have provided this for me, that you gave me the job that I have, the business that I own, whatever it might be. And thank you that I have this pile of pancakes. Thank you that you've, that's just a great way to express your, your love to him. Thank you for the clothes that I have. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my kids. The list goes on and on and on, right? I mean, everything we have is a gift from God. And one of the ways you express your love to him is by simply thanking him. And doing it out loud and communion here in just a few minutes would be a great way to, 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 to do that. Jesus, or the word of God says this, if someone says, I love God, but they hate their, their, their Christian brother or sister, that person's just a liar. For if we don't love people how, that we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? And he's given us this commandment, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. You see, one of the things that God did was, he said, hey look, the greatest thing you can do is to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then God said, you know what, I know you folks pretty well. I'm not gonna leave it up to you to determine what that love looks like. I'll determine it, and here's one of the ways that you will love me is when you love each other. John chapter, 1 John chapter 5 says, loving God means obeying his commands. N number two, or the second thing that I think God saw when he looked at the, at the heart of David was this. God saw a man that had a great love for the word of God. Now obviously, the word of God looked different back in David's time. 
In Psalms 1, it says this, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with the mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on it, the law of the Lord, day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Psalms uh, uh, chapter 27 says, And my heart heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Isn't that great? I thought about that this week. When you wake up in the morning, you go, Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming to spend time with you. Man, I got another day, God. And I can hardly wait. I, I get to come and spend some time with you. Do you do that? I only ask that because uh, I don't do that very often. I don't wake up like that. Man, are you, you excited? Man, Lord, it's Sunday. I'm going to church, Lord. Lord, uh, I can hardly wait till the men's Bible study. Lord, I can hardly wait for the women's group. So I can hardly wait for, you know, prime time to get started. I can hardly wait to come to CR. I can hardly wait, God. I just want to be where your word is taught. I'm coming, Lord. <laughs> I just love that. Psalms chapter 86 says, uh, David said, Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. You get to Psalms chapter 119, and it is just loaded, loaded uh, with unbelievable thoughts about David's love for the word of God. Uh, verse 46 says, I will speak of your statutes before kings, and I will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees. And I'm sure there were times when David, as the king, he got to meet with some important people. You're the king, maybe other kings. And when he met with other kings, he wasn't afraid to go, hey, let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about his laws and his commands. He wasn't afraid to open his mouth and talk about the, the great things of, of, of God. Verse 90, 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day. Verse 113 says, I, I, I hate double-minded men, but, but I love your law. Verse 127 says, Truly I love your commands more than I love gold, even the finest gold. Each of your commands is right. That is why I hate every false way. Verse one. 67 says, I have obeyed your laws for I love them very much. And, 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 you know, it just goes on and on and on and on. There's no doubt that David loved God's word. And you know what? God saw it. He saw somebody that loved him above all else, and he saw somebody who loved the word of God. And I'll tell you, in a little bit, when you're holding that little bread and cup, what a great moment to say, God, I confess that I... I don't love your word maybe as much as I ought to. I don't, I don't spend as much time in your word as I ought to. See, a great question for all of us to wrestle around with is, you know, how much time do we spend each day just simply reading the word of God? 
How much time do we spend each day, I don't know, studying the Word of God? I, I, I think the church, on the one hand, I love all the little devotionals that are out there, man, praise God for that, but let me tell you the downside to it is the American Christian, they, they, they take those devotionals that you can basically read in, I don't know, a minute, some of them you can read in 30 seconds, and that becomes, that's it. I did my devotion today. And it can be from somebody's fantastic. It can be from Billy Graham's devotional. It could be John MacArthur's devotional. It could be Dr. Jeremiah's devotional. I mean, there's A.W. Tozer's devotional. A lot of great devotionals out there. But that becomes it. And I, I read my devotional. And, and I'm done. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. That's a good thing to do. But it can't be the only thing that you do. There's 24 hours in a day, and, and you can't spend a minute reading a devotional and go, hey, whoo, man, I tell you what, I, I, no. We gotta, we gotta get our nose into the Word of God. How much time do you spend each day just trying to you know, memorize a verse? How much time do you spend each day meditating on some passage? And you know, in our culture today, wow, um, we, um, we, we, we set aside some time and we go, okay, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an hour or 30 minutes to just go meditate on this passage or this chapter of the Bible, whatever it is. And we find ourselves alone and we're with the Lord, we're with him. We're with him in a very special way. He's always with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always with us. But when you're with the Lord in his word and meditation, you're with him at a, at a whole nother level. You're, you're with the Lord. Now, just think this through. You're with him. You're enjoying his presence in a whole nother way. You're in, you're in fellowship with, with God, Jesus. Uh, uh. And you actually take the call. You're with Jesus. And you just took the call. You see, in this setting right now, you're all going, yeah, that's really weird. That's crazy. Yeah. But haven't we all done it? You're with the Lord. Who could possibly be on the other end of that phone? Excuse me, Jesus, I gotta take this. Isn't that, isn't that weird? It's just so, it's just weird in this setting with our minds here and where the Holy Spirit is working in a unique way in here, you just go, wow. Look, look, there has to be times where you turn it off. And I know some of you think you're the CEO of the universe. And the life can't go on without you. You're, you're so important. You're so important to whatever. People have to get a hold of me. I know. The greatest thing you need to do is just turn your phone off and say, I am with Jesus right now. I'm with him. 
Now, you know, your phone can, oh, yeah, I forgot to turn it off. Just turn it off. Just turn it off. I think if David was alive today, I have no doubt he'd use a cell phone. I think he'd be the kind of man who would turn it off and go, you know what? My time with him is so valuable that whoever that is can wait. I think God you know, looked down and he saw a man that loved him deeply, but he also saw a man that was really in love with the, his word, loved to be with him in a, in a, in a special way. And, and here's the deal. Uh, number three, God saw a man that, that was humble. Um, and just because of time, I, I found a, a couple of definitions for the word humility that I thought were really interesting. One was to, to live without strutting. I really like that. And another one was to walk without wanting to be noticed. And when you look at the life of of David, and you see the fact that when he was anointed the king, he was the king, but you know what? There was another king, and he humbled himself, and he honored that king. He honored the position. He, he knew that God was disappointed in him, knew that the kingship had been kind of stripped from him, but if God kept him alive, then he was going to honor that. And you see a, a very humble man. In Matthew chapter 11, uh, uh, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And then he says, I am humble at heart. And as best I can tell, this is the only self-description that Jesus ever gave of himself. He said, I'm gentle and I'm humble at heart. In other words, though he was God, he didn't strut around acting like he was God. And we see that in Philippians, don't we? I think God looked down from heaven and, and just saw a man that was humble. And maybe as you're holding the bread and cup, you, you just say, God, if I started thinking more highly of myself than I ought to think, am I living humbly before you, God? Am I living humbly amongst my brothers and sisters in the Lord? And number four, last but not least, God saw a man that, that really trusted him. And in a couple weeks after Mother's Day, I'm, I'm going to tell you some stories, and probably the most famous story about David was his battle against Goliath. <laughs> and right at th that story, we see a young man who I think had a deep love for God. He had a deep love for the Word of God. He lived humbly before God, and what that did was it gave him a great trust in God. When all the great soldiers, even Saul himself, were afraid to take on Goliath, this kid in the youth group steps up. And you see how much he really trusted God. And maybe as you're holding the bread in the cup here in a moment, maybe there's some areas that you would say, you know, Lord, I, I haven't been trusting you here. I'm so nervous about my business that when I go out for 20 minutes to be with you, Lord, I, I've got to make sure my phone's on because I don't trust you being away from my business for 20 minutes. I think the whole thing will go belly up if I don't answer the phone in 20 minutes. Maybe you ought to say, Lord, I guess I'm going to trust you for the next 20 minutes while I'm just with you 
that my business won't go belly up if I don't answer the phone and take my secretary's call. I, did anybody go to bed last night worrying that, man, is the, is the world gonna stay on its axis while I go to bed? Will, will there be enough oxygen to breathe when I wake up? God, as far as I can tell when I read through the scriptures, I think he can keep your business running for 20 minutes. Don't you think? Maybe that's what you just need to confess as we hold on to these things. And so here's what's gonna happen. Over in the venue, you're gonna have a song and you're gonna walk forward during that song and, and receive communion and you're gonna take it on your own over there, okay? And in here, we're gonna play a song and it's gonna be passed and I want you to hang on to the bread and the cup and in here, we'll, we'll, we'll take it uh, together. So I'm gonna ask our hosts and hostesses to come forward at this moment and uh, I'm gonna pray and as it's being passed here, um, let's enjoy this song. May it get our hearts in the right place. And over in the venue, you, you, you'll walk forward, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for today and the music and the giving and the preaching and the fellowship. Lord, thank you for this moment where we get to remember you in a very special way. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a, a great few minutes for all of us as we hold the bread and the cup. God, may we wrestle around with our love for you, our love for your word. Are we walking, you know, humbly before you? Do we trust you, Lord? Lord, speak to us now, and I pray this in your name. Amen.